Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Uh, we're going to jump in again. We're on this series that was going to be a two-part series, but now it's a five-part series. But anyway, on uh, reconciliation, and now I'm just going to call it reconciliation and forgiveness because uh, last week I, I wanted to put forgiveness in this series on reconciliation. And then uh, as I was praying at the beginning of this week, as to because I, I already know the next series that we want to do. And uh, so I was praying, Lord, okay, now we can start on this one. And I just, I just sensed, just come back. Uh, we did that one message on forgiveness. And I just feel, you know, forgiveness is so important that I thought to myself, you know, sometimes you got to just, if you just hit it once and then you leave, it's so easy to forget. Uh, but I think sometimes you just have to park on something, even just to park on something for a couple of weeks as part of this series. It just makes a deeper imprint. And, uh, and so I just want to approach it, uh, some of it's going to overlap with last week, but from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, but part of the reason I, I'm, I'm talking about this, both reconciliation and forgiveness, forgiveness specifically the last two weeks, is I, I'm, I'm hoping that as a church and as Christians, we can get beyond the brute force model of forgiveness. And the brute force model of forgiveness is, it's not bad. And if you have no other model for forgiveness, what I love is it's commendable that Christians are determined, I'm going to forgive no matter what. That's actually an important determination. And I love that persistence. Uh, however, there is, as many of you have discovered, when all you know about forgiveness is I just have to keep working at it, and I just have to keep trying, and I just have to try harder, and I just have to keep going at it, there's actually more to forgiveness than just trying harder. And uh, one of the things I really appreciate, one of Pastor uh, Ray's big, uh, you know, emphases, one of the things he really uh, majored on and emphasized here for the 20 years that he was a, a pastor here is this whole thing of inner healing. And I really believe uh, healing and forgiveness it goes hand in hand. Uh, these two things, healing and forgiveness, are, are intertwined. And so there are things where if you're just trying harder and harder to forgive, if instead of focusing so much on the trying harder, if you would focus on the getting healing, a lot of the forgiveness stuff would fall into place. And it becomes a virtuous uh, cycle or circle where as you get healing, it becomes easier for you to let go of things and forgive. And as you let go of things and forgive, that also brings more healing, which allows you to let go of more things. And it's this virtuous cycle. But if you're caught right now in a thing where you just, there are people in your life or hurtful events from your past that you have tried over and over and over to, to forgive, uh, it's good that you're determined to forgive. But I want in this message again to put the emphasis in a little bit of a different place because I think if we can get more healing in our lives, literally, when you begin to get some of that inner healing, it actually opens up doorways in your heart. It loosens things that allow you. It's almost like, it's not that forgiveness might be easy, but it will allow you. It'll, it'll open up the doorway for forgiveness to begin to flow out of you. And so we're actually going to spend the, the whole time, we're going to look at Joseph, uh, the story of Joseph, because the story of Joseph is an incredible, beautiful, amazing story of forgiveness. And there's some really neat things in Joseph's response to his brothers at the end of their lives that, uh, and that's basically, we're going we're to try and learn. We're going to try and get as much out of his response to them at the end of his life. 
as we possibly can. But why don't you just bow your heads with me and close your eyes and let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us in this thing of healing and forgiveness. And then we'll dive in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you uh, for your forgiveness of us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is here to help us in everything that you call us to do, but particularly in forgiveness, which is for our good. And so we want to be, I know, Lord, there's probably not a person in here right now that doesn't have something in their life that they could forgive more on, that they could get more healing on. I pray that your spirit would speak to us powerfully. And then in the lead up, Lord, out of this and then into the person on Tuesday night, that we're going to be a church that walks in healing and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So Joseph's story, it's too long for me to read the whole thing. So let me just catch you up a little bit on it. And then we're, we're just going to put up on the screens some of the final bits uh, there from chapter 50. But the Joseph story starts in uh, Genesis chapter 37. And uh, we start with, you know, Joseph is a teenager. He's 17 years old, it tells us at the beginning of the chapter. And, uh, and right away, this is a dysfunctional family, okay? So any of you who comes from a dysfunctional family, the Joseph story is for you, okay? Because his is an exceptionally dysfunctional family. First of all, there are multiple wives, okay? So hopefully you did not grow up in a family like that, Okay. There's not only multiple wives, there's favoritism from Jacob to the wives. There's a ranking, which makes it even worse, okay? So he has a favorite wife, that's Rachel. And Rachel, at this point, only has one son. She's gonna have a second one later, but at this point, she only has one son, and that's Joseph. And the other 10 brothers are from the other three wives, or concubines, or whatever you wanna call some of them. Uh, and so Jacob overtly favors Joseph, because he is the son of Rachel. And of course, as this is going to do, guaranteed to do, this creates a ton of resentment among the older 10 brothers, okay? And uh, any of you who has ever had any resentment or felt you saw favoritism in your family, you can understand that a bit. This is an extreme case, okay? And so it's, it's so bad that, at, you know, so now he's 17 years old and, and in the story in, in 37, chapter 37, Genesis, uh, Jacob sends Joseph out to go and check on his brothers, which probably involves Jacob wanting him to tattle, wanting Joseph to tattle on his brothers. He's known as a tattletale. And so we have this scene, one of the most, you know, epic bad family scenes in all of history, whether even true stories or even in fairy tales, there's not you know, many stories that get to this level of brother against brother wickedness. And, uh, and so we even get a look into their conversation as we read in chapter seven, as Joseph is walking up to them, the brothers are discussing, let's kill him. Okay, so again, you're coming from, you know, some of you are coming from very dysfunctional families. You can relate to this but hopefully not on that level, okay? And of course, thankfully for Joseph, he has a caring older brother who says, let's not kill him, let's just throw him into a pit. So they throw him into a pit and uh, Joseph is down there. And then of course, as we all know, they sell him into slavery. So that's chapter 37. I mean, that is just epically bad, okay? Really, really bad. Now, uh, chapters 39 to 41, we get uh, more of the story as to what happens to Joseph when he's in Egypt now, okay? So he gets sold into slavery, and then he ends up in Potiphar's house, and then, you know, he does well there, actually, which is amazing, and then he gets falsely accused of sexual assault, and now he's in an Egyptian prison. And you just have to think to yourself here, 
every day that he's going through this stuff in Egypt is a day when he can legitimately think to himself bitterly, this is all my brother's fault. Isn't that true? I mean, we've had, we've all had people do things to us, you know, that made us angry or that hurt us. And sometimes uh, out of that, you know, we illegitimately blame them for other things that happened, okay? But in Joseph's case, he actually has a legitimate reason. All the years he's in slavery and all the years he's in prison, he can legitimately point to his present circumstances as being directly the fault of his brothers, okay? Like if anyone ever had a reason to be bitter and not forgive, it was Joseph, okay? Then we have chapters 42 to 49, and that's the, you know, the rise of Joseph. He comes out of prison. He becomes second in command. This is famous, right? His brothers actually end up in Egypt, and he actually has opportunities to do bad to them, which he does not do, and his entire family ends up moving to Egypt. Now, we come to chapter 50, and in chapter 50, uh, Joseph's dad, Jacob, dies. Now, after he dies, you would think by this point, you know, the brothers... They're thinking, okay, we're in the clear. I mean, we've been living here for years. Joseph has taken care of us. But actually, you can see that their guilt is still hanging over them. And the moment their father Jacob dies, they think that they are scared. And legitimately so. What they have done deserves other than what they've received. And so after Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers are worried that maybe Joseph was only being okay with us because dad was still alive and he didn't want to break dad's heart, but now he's going to get us. And so I, I want to read that part. Okay, so Genesis 50 verse 15, we pick up the story. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Okay, now that is a legitimate fear, okay, after what they did to Joseph. But now I want to look at Joseph's response. And, and this is, you know, you know, the word epic cannot be overused in terms of this example of forgiveness, okay? So a few verses later, we find Joseph's response to this. And Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I mean, to see the words comfort and kindness from Joseph to these brothers that have done something so terrible to him shows that this is not just a shaky forgiveness. This is not a forgiveness where Joseph is just barely hanging on. Don't kill them. Don't kill them. I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. This is like to the, it's, it's a true forgiveness. I mean, it's, it's right to the core of his body, to, you know, to, to, right to the core of his heart that these guys who have hurt him, he actually has the opportunity and the power to do whatever he wants to them. And all he wants is to comfort and be kind to them and to take care of them and their little ones. That is actually what forgiveness looks like. I mean, that is just awesome, okay? And this should be a story that inspires us when we wonder, have we truly forgiven? We can look at the Joseph story and we can look at that and we can say, okay, have I managed to forgive yet? Because this is a picture for us of, of ultimately what it can look like. Now, so this is a picture of inspiration for us as forgiveness, okay? 
But I think often as Christians, and I talked about this a little bit last week as well, but I want to just say it again this week. I think sometimes instead of being inspired by stories like this or being inspired by the Joseph story, instead, I think we sometimes feel condemned. Because we look at the story of Joseph and then we look at our own lives and we can probably, you know, some of us might be able to pick out not one or two, but six or seven people in our lives or maybe sometimes more where we are not at this level of forgiveness with them. And so we look at that and we go, oh, I'm just a bad person. Like Joseph is this incredible godly man, obviously. Like the way he could forgive, I'm forgiving that. And instead of being inspired, we actually feel condemned. It feels impossible. I don't think I could even ever get there, you might think to yourself. So I want to just look at, before we, and then we're going to get into some super practical stuff, but I just want to set the table for the practical stuff. I want to look at three reasons why this story should be an inspiration and not condemnation. So three things to keep in mind when you read this Joseph story, why this should inspire rather than condemn. And the first reason is this, is that the Bible doesn't tell us that Joseph got to this point overnight. And in fact, I seriously doubt that he did. We have to remember that this passage is taking place at the end of the story. Now, I don't know at what point Joseph got there, but I have a sneaky suspicion. You know, whatever levels of forgiveness he was at at the various points in his life, I don't know. But the final place where he can be kind to them and talk about God's purposes in it, I think that was a lifetime in the making. The Bible certainly doesn't tell us this happened overnight. I doubt the day after he went into slavery or six months later or the first day he went to prison, maybe, you know, that first day in prison, he had some, worked on some amount of healing. But the level that we see in Genesis 50, I think there's a reason that's at the end of the story. And I think that was a long journey that got him there. And so you are in, yeah, so your story doesn't look like that yet. But you've got to be patient with yourself. You've got to be gracious with yourself. You've got to be forgiving to yourself. It's actually okay that you're not there yet. Put that up there at the end. Now, that doesn't mean you give up and say, oh, I don't need to ever get there. The fact of the matter is, you don't want to get to that level of forgiveness because God's mad at you. You want to get to that level of forgiveness because that's the best thing for you. The bitterness and the anger and the hurt that you're hanging on to isn't hurting the other person. It's only hurting you. So getting to the place where Joseph could end his story, it's not, God's not mad at you saying, get to forgiveness already. He's inviting you and he's saying, oh, if you only knew the weight that you're carrying and the toxins that are hurting you, uh, as you don't, aren't, aren't able to let go of those things. So the Bible doesn't tell us that Joseph got there overnight, and I seriously doubt that he did. And so give yourself time as well. Depending on, on how big your situation is or how complicated or how whatever, some, I know, I mean, there are people who have grown up in horribly abusive homes, and actually walking out that journey of forgiveness isn't weeks or months, it's years. And you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And there's other ones that can be done in less time than that. But give yourself time. And just say, I'm going to end up there, and I'm going to be patient with myself in the meantime. Second, I want, you to I want you to remember something we talked about last week, but I want you to see it again in this 
story because it is also true in the Joseph story. I want you to notice that Joseph is forgiving from a place of safety. You notice that again? That doesn't take away from his forgiveness. I mean, it's, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. But it is an important detail in the story. Joseph is not in a pit again or in a place where his brothers are victimizing and abusing him again, is he? He's actually got, you know, you could say very healthy boundaries. He's now the king of Egypt, okay? Or second in command. Now, you might not be able to have, you know, such circumstances as that in your life, but I want you to notice he's forgiving from a place not of, he is not in a position where they can continue to abuse and take advantage of him. He's forgiving from his place. So we talked about that last week, and I want you to keep that in mind because that's part of wisdom when it comes to healing and forgiveness is actually, it's not God's will for your life that you continually put yourself into unhealthy relationships where people are hurting and abusing you. And when you're in the middle of one of those toxic relationships, the first step is not to try and forgive, but to get some help from people and figure out healthy boundaries or sometimes, you know, in certain toxic relationships, it could be in business or extended family or sometimes even marriage, where they're so toxic or abusive or whatever that you actually need some, some space. You need some protections. And then from having some space and some, some safety, you can now say, okay, now I can begin to let go, okay? So that's, that's wisdom. And that was very beneficial to Joseph, obviously, in this thing as well. And a third thing I want you to notice here is that forgiving is not forgetting. Okay? And, and that's a, just a common, it's a common, you know, statement. Uh, forgiving is forgetting, right? People say it in our culture, not just Christians, but non-Christians. There's sort of this idea that's maybe a little bit ingrained uh, in, our, in our culture, the way we speak anyway, is this idea that uh, forgive and forget. And I, I, I kind of get the sort of the, the meaning or the feeling behind it, which is fine. I think people are well-meaning. But the fact of the matter is, forgiving is not forgetting, and trying to forget is not a healthy way of approaching forgiveness. But I want you to notice that Joseph does not forget. There's no forgetting here. Look what he says. You meant evil against me. I want you to notice he's not even making excuses. He doesn't say, you know, the way I've coped with this is I've finally come to realize it was a really hot day. You guys weren't thinking straight. You'd been drinking a bit. You know, you guys always had that problem. And so, boom, you threw me in the pit. I got sold into slavery. That's how I've come to terms with it. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't make excuses for them. He says, you meant evil against me. He, he absolutely remembers what happened. He remembers the devastating co uh, consequences, and he remembers that the, what these guys did was wicked. Okay? But still, you know, from that, and we're going to look at some of the rest of it, he has found purpose in this and various things, and he's able to let go of the bitterness of it anyway. Okay? Now, sometimes I think, feel like Christians have this idea, but isn't I mean, somewhere in the Bible, surely the fact that we say forgive and forget, it's got to be coming from somewhere. Like somewhere it must say something about forgetting and forgiveness. But do you know that there's not a single verse in the Bible that says that you need to forget in order to forgive? I think if, it's, if this phrase is coming out of the Bible, I think, there, well, there's two passages 
that talk about God forgetting sins. And we'll just look at one of them because the other one is actually, you know, an allusion back anyway. It's in Hebrews. But let's look at Isaiah 43. Okay, this is one of two passages which speaks of God forgetting our sins. And let's, let's just examine this for just a moment. Okay, so God says in Isaiah 43, I, I am he, okay, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, first of all, let's just stop and think what an amazing promise, okay? That this is the kind of forgiveness God gives us, that the forgiveness is so thorough, it's so complete, that the analogy or metaphor that can be used is, I will not remember your sins, okay? But let's remember, though, as we read this, that this is metaphorical language. How could a God who knows everything forget anything? Okay, imagine, you know, imagine a murderer, okay? He kills some people or one person or whatever, okay, it doesn't matter, ends up in prison. It's happened many times in history, many times, and there's been many murderers in history who have repented of their murders. The Apostle Paul is an example in the Bible, okay? Uh, King David is another one. So let's imagine now that there's this murderer. He ends up in prison for his murder. While he's in prison, he encounters Jesus and he repents. He says, I, I can't believe I did this wicked thing. And he repents of his sins. Does God forget that he murdered someone? The next morning, does God go to the angels? Hey, why is this guy in prison? I can't figure it out because I forgot. Does God forget anything? Absolutely not. Okay? If you look at inappropriate pictures on the internet at night, and the next day you wake up, as so many people have done, and you feel guilty for it, and you repent, oh, Jesus, forgive me for those things I looked at last night. Does God get a blank spot in his memory? Does he bump the angels and go, I can't remember what, you know, Bob was doing last night at 11 p.m. I can't remember. Must have been bad because I can't remember it. Does that make any sense? No. So clearly, this is picture language, and it's beautiful picture language. God knows everything. He can't forget anything. What it is a beautiful picture of is that when God forgives you, the slate, it's like a brand new, fresh start. You literally get a fresh start. His heart to you, the forgiveness is so thorough that the way he treats you and thinks of you is as if you never did it. Well, it's not like he forgets. How could he forget? And one of the most unhealthy ideas you could have if you have subscribed to that theory of forgiveness is this idea that to forgive means to make excuses for what happened or to forgive means I have to try and forget what happened. But in the Joseph story, which is one of the most beautiful stories of forgiveness ever, what we see is something better than trying to forget. What we see is somebody who has made sense of the painful things that happened to him. That's what we see. Someone who can remember the bad thing that happened to him or the bad things that happened to him, but they've made sense of it. They can see how God has turned out for good. You can see as, as, as Joseph, well, let's, let's go back to that passage. And uh, let me understand, let me help you just see a couple of things here. I want you to see how in, how in one passage, Marlon, if you can go to uh, Genesis 50 there, it starts with, as for you, you meant evil against me. So there he has a firm grasp of the past and how it's affected him. He hasn't forgotten it. He hasn't ignored it. He hasn't repressed it. It's part of his story. And that's just a fact. Your past, you can't help some of the bad things that happened to you in your past 
but they happened. They're part of your story now. Joseph has a firm grasp of his story, which includes some of these terrible things. But you can see that he's healed from it by how he goes on to say, but God meant it for good. His past, he's got a, he's got a God narrative. He's got a Holy Spirit narrative that puts those bad things in their context in a way that they don't overwhelm him. They're not random and senseless. Joseph isn't freaking out. Why did I have to go through this? Why did I have to go through this? He can see good things have come out of this. It wasn't good. I'm not happy that it happened. But I can see good things that have resulted. I can see God's plan in my life. And that is what healing looks like. And that is a big part of how he is able to let go of bitterness and resentment. There is something healing. Did you know that your brain was made to operate on that idea of narrative. That narrative just means story. Your brain, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are made in the image of God and your brain was made to operate on narrative, which means whether you consciously realize it or not or whether it's just subconsciously happening and you have no idea that it's happening, your brain is constantly trying to figure out why things have happened to you, what effect they've had on you, who you are, and how your present mixes with your present and your future. Your brain is always trying to figure those things out. And if it gets stuck thinking certain hurtful events or things where you got angry, if it gets stuck and doesn't know how that fits into the story, you will get all kinds of problems in the present which is a lot where this inner healing that Pastor Ray has talked about for years comes in. So I just want to talk about that. That idea that Joseph has that bad past events are there, they're not forgotten, but they fit into this bigger healed story of I can see where this fits and I can see the good things can come out of this, even though it was a terrible thing to go through. Making sense of your past is a big part of being able to let go of things in the present. So let's just walk through that a little bit, taking Joseph a little bit as our guide, okay? So um, making sense of your past, what does that mean? Couple of things, okay? Uh, first of all, it means you aren't ignoring or repressing hard things from your past. See, this is what many of us do when we don't know what to do with something. Now, first of all, again, there's a whole continuum here. So some of you have gone through bad things that are so bad they're actually traumatic. They're, like, they're really traumatic. And you actually need like real counseling to help you through that because it's traumatic. But then there's a whole host of other things that were very hurtful or made us very angry or very bitter, but they're not on that level of like, you know, some tra childhood traumas or you know, sexual abuse and some of those things. But they're just really bad. And what so many of us do is we just live. So we get really mad at so-and-so. We go through this six-month or one-year period. But we never actually get healing for it. We never get God's perspective on it or truth or figure out how it fits in and God's plan and all sort of stuff. What happens is the feelings eventually go away. And so we think, I'm good. I'm functioning again. Because your brain is amazing at just helping you survive. And you think that because you're surviving in day-to-day -day life, that everything is okay. I guess I must have deal, dealt with it. But actually, if you would ever go back and think about that person or think about that situation, immediately, urgh, there'd be anger and bitterness. Now, the thing is, you think you're okay, but actually, 
The fact that there's still that open loop in your brain, that that hasn't been fit into a healed story, that you haven't been able to totally let go of that, you just have to stop thinking about it, actually that is still impacting you negatively. You don't realize it, but subconsciously you are carrying baggage that is weighing you down and will manifest itself in very, you know, various unhealthy ways in your life. So, first of all, part of making sense of your story, like Joseph, is the ability to remember. Now, out of remembering, okay, so you aren't ignoring and repressing hurtful things from your past. Uh, so what does that mean then? When you become aware of them, we need to pursue healing. We actually need to pursue healing. Where you have had hurts, where right now in this service, if you pull up memory or the face of certain people, you're or certain, you know, situations, and you would have that <clears throat> tighten, okay? That actually means there's parts of your life that haven't been put into a healed story of what God's doing in your life. And that means you actually need to pursue healing. Just ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Now, what does that mean to pursue healing? Well, healing starts with awareness. First of all, just being aware that there's people in my life I still haven't forgotten, that there's hurts in my life that I've kind of just put out of mind. So it starts with awareness, okay? Become aware of hurts you haven't dealt with and people in your life who you haven't truly forgiven. And this sometimes will take courage. There's a reason why some of them you just put away. Some of them you just put away because you just don't know what to do with them. Some of them you put away because you're scared to deal with them. It'll take courage. But awareness is key, and I would venture to say Many of us, maybe most of us, have some things from smaller to medium to bigger to really big in our past that we have undealt with. Most of us do. A second thing is to become aware of those bitter, angry, anger, you know, and angry feelings that are still lying buried. So not just aware of hurts that you haven't healed, but being aware that actually there is in me. I've got anger there. If I really touch into some of those areas, there's anger there. It's awareness. This is part of the healing journey. Just becoming aware is the first step to healing. In fact, just becoming aware is in itself can be partially healing sometimes. A third thing to become aware of is to identify lies and wrong thinking you believe is a result of hurtful events. Okay? Oftentimes when you get hurt or when someone does something to you, I mean, this is stuff, you know, Pastor Ray talked about for years. But it is just true as true as true as true. In fact, I've had the, the uh, you know, the opportunity these last few years, as LaDonna and I have been very involved with parenting cell and stuff, to get exposed to, you know, some of the most, the, the best scientific research on brain development and all this sort of stuff and some of the courses and the, and the materials we've been going through. It's interesting to me, secular research confirms all of this stuff from a scientific perspective. It is absolutely true you talk to the most highly trained psychologists and brain researchers and stuff, uh, whether it be repressed hurts from your past or lies or these sorts of things, the fact that these things sit in your brain and continue to hurt you and continue to hurt you unless you get healing from them is Bible and science coming together. So identify that. These lies and wrong thinking are a huge source of our pain. So again, remember last week I talked about curiosity instead of condemnation. Do you ever have time in your life? And this is why having a quiet time is so important because 
It's not in your busy times when you will have the ability to think about these things or discern these things, but do you have quiet in your life, time to journal and to pray, to actually think, why do I explode in anger whenever this happens? Why do I have such a difficult time relating to so-and-so? You know, where are these feelings coming from? And ask, begin to ask yourself, why? Be curious. Because often there's wrong thinking and lies that are driving it. And there can, there's a thousand, you know, there's 10,000 different lies you could believe. Okay? That's somewhere, you know, when, you're, when your dad treated you like that as a kid, however it was, that you started to believe and you can feel it. I'm, I'm worthless. Or I'm a failure. Or all men are bad. Or all churches are bad. Or on and on and on. There's many Wrong thinking. So you have these hurtful things. Now Joseph, remember Joseph, he has a memory of these hurtful things. Clear memory. But it's part of a healed story. But if you don't have those, those as parts of a healed story, if you continue to do it, there's a brokenness, there's a loop, and until it's healed, it's going to continue to cause hurt and destruction in your life. It's just fact. Now just becoming aware of that, just the act of becoming aware of it is already a huge step towards healing. To be able to see, to observe in your brain, I'm actually believing something wrong about myself is already a huge step towards healing. Okay? Now you say, how do I get this insight? And the big picture answer is the Holy Spirit has to give it to you. The Holy Spirit has to give it to you. John 14, 26. Okay? But the helper, now the Greek word there, parakletos, can be translated also counselor or comforter. Isn't that amazing that that is one of the names of God? Because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit who is with you here in this service, who is in you when you go home and when you go to work, is actually called your comforter, your helper, your counselor. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. His job is to bring to your remembrance truth, Jesus' truth, things from the Word of God, but also truth into your life, to bring it from your head to your heart. Look what Jesus says a couple of chapters later about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's your guide. He's with you. Why wouldn't you call out to him and pray? Why wouldn't you say, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, please. I am stuck. I don't know what to do with these things in my past. That's why I've pushed them out of my mind because I didn't know what else to do. So I, may as well, I have to survive. I have to go on living. Why not ask the Holy Spirit and say, I want healing for that. If Joseph could get healing from that extreme trauma, if he could have a healed story to remember those things but not be overwhelmed by them, I want that same thing. Now you say, what are the Holy Spirit's tools? Well, his tools are endless. And this is where you can't over-spiritualize. Because it's not just a matter of him, you know, whoof, some amazing experience and boom, there you have this truth. That happens. It's amazing. But the Holy Spirit has many tools for speaking to us. Personal ministry. You might sit down with a, with a pastor here at church. This is what we're here for as a church. Forgiveness is one of our biggest jobs to help people do this. You might sit down in personal ministry with a pastor. It could happen during journaling as you just work things out and write your feelings out. It could happen over months of 
or, or whatever of journaling and praying and personal ministry, some combination of all of them. It could happen in listening prayer. It could happen in counseling session. You know, who made the gift of counseling? Who made people to have brains to figure these out and, and, and hearts to help you? God did. So how is that not the Holy Spirit when you have the courage to sit down with a counselor and actually invest some money and get some help? The Holy Spirit will use that. Could be conversation as you talk these things out. And on and on and on. And not just these five. And on and on. Many ways he can speak. The point is, you have to pursue healing and ask him. But he will speak to you. And when he speaks to you, if we go back to John 14, this time 27, the verse right after the one I read you before about he's the comforter, he's the helper, all that, says this, peace I leave with you. That's the Holy Spirit's will for your life. That's Jesus' will for your life is for these hurts and that resentment to be part of a healed story where you haven't forgotten what happened to you, but you have peace about what has happened to you. That's what he wants for you. Which brings us up to another point. We've just talked about part of this pursuing healing. Okay, so you've identified lies and wrong thinking that you believe. But a fourth thing is you've identified hurtful patterns in your life that stem from your pain. Again, awareness, okay, awareness is a big part of healing. Just the ability in, with, with the Holy Spirit's help to work through these things and come into awareness. I can see now, you know, that person did that to me and I, I just became so angry or so fearful and I can see now that after that I was paralyzed in my decisions there were outbursts of anger. To be able to understand, I started to withdraw. You know, it was after that experience I started to withdraw. I just sort of gave up on my passions. The ability just to have awareness in prayer, in conversation with people, in counseling, whatever it is, the awareness of this is how it impacted me. This happened to me. This is how it impacted me is huge for your healing. Huge. And then the Holy Spirit can begin to speak into you and help you come out of that. He can speak truth into your life. That's massive, okay? And then this brings us to the last thing, and we see this as well in the Joseph story. If we go back to the Joseph story, not only have you, you know, you've begun to pursue healing and insight and awareness into the things that are, you know, hurting you, but now you've found truth, God's truth, in God's perspective, in God's purpose for your hurts. And this is what's just so powerful in this Joseph story. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Now that is, that is a huge part of having a healed story. Joseph can look and he can say, yeah, this bad thing happened to me. And you don't, by the way, the fact that you're healed doesn't ever mean you have to be happy about what happened to you. You know, the, the, the terrible things that have happened to you in your life, God's not happy about bad things happening to you. I don't think Joseph ever had memories of, you know, being in slavery or being in that pit and just went, oh, I'm so happy that happened. No, that, that would be unhealthy. The point isn't that you become happy about what happened. The point is that by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's help, you can place it in a, whole, in, 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 a, in a healed story 
where you can see how God has used it for good and the ability to see purpose in your hurt is massively healing, massively healing. So the fact that Joseph can now look, it's not okay what his brothers did to him, but the fact that he can look, no, it's not okay. You meant evil for me. You can see that in his response. You meant evil for me. But actually, I have come to peace with this because God has shown me his truth, and that is that actually, you know, through that, I ended up in Egypt, and now I'm able to save all these people. There's purpose in this. That is healing, okay? Now, you say, well, I just... I just can't see it that clearly. And it's true. In this story, Joseph has a bit of an advantage in that it's, at this point of the story, it's really easy to see the purpose God had. He had to get to Egypt to do all this stuff. And some of your terrible past, some of the things you went through in your childhood or in your marriage or various things in your family, you, it might not be that clear. It might not be as clear as I had to get to Egypt to save the world. So you say, well, how do I find God's purpose in all of that? Well, there's more to purpose than just being able to see clearly how this is all part of God's plan. Sometimes the purpose is, okay, that thing in the past happened to me. I can't help that it happened. I wish that it didn't happen, but it did happen. I can't change that now. So going forward... How does God want to use this for good? That can also be purpose. Amen? And that's why one of the things I would want to encourage you guys all as we come to the end of this message is don't waste your hurts. Your biggest hurts are sometimes your biggest opportunities to help other people. Isn't that true? Some of these you went through. Yeah, maybe you can't totally make sense. I really can't see quite as clear a plan as Joseph, you know, having to go to Egypt. I don't know why I had to go through that stuff as a kid. I don't know why I had to go through that, you know, that marriage, my marriage fall apart and my spouse leave me and all that stuff that happened. That was ugly and that's, that was painful. But do you realize the fact that you went through that, maybe you can't see a clear plan, you know, in it. But the fact of the matter is God can turn all things for good, which means now you're hurt at what you went through. How many other people need to be encouraged? How many other people are going through a broken marriage right now and they need someone like you to tell them you're going to make it? You're actually going to be okay. You actually can forgive and let go. You went through a real rough childhood and you just think, I can't make any sense out of why I had to go through some of that. But as you pray, the Holy Spirit puts it in you and he says, how many other kids are going through that right now? How many other people have been through that? And how... And they need someone to go to them and tell them, you know what, your life doesn't have to be ruined because your childhood was a disaster. And you can point at yourself and say, look at me. Your biggest hurts are some of your biggest opportunities to help other people. Not to mention, you, again, you can't change your past. Your past has already happened. But are you going to let God use it to make you a better person? Some of your biggest hurts are actually your biggest opportunities to become a more loving, vulnerable, humble, stronger person. And there's people in here right now who are going through terribly diff difficult things. 
then actually the world needs to see someone who can go through those things you're going through with courage and with grace and with love. So maybe that's the purpose. But you have to get that from the Holy Spirit. What is the truth God wants to speak to you about your hurts? What's the perspective he wants to give you about your hurts? What's the purpose he wants to give you in your hurts? And as you do this work with others, because you can't do this on your own, you need the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit wants to use others, so as you do this in conversation with loved ones and a cell leader, a pastor, a counselor, whatever it is, but as you do this work, as you get a healed story, you get to, if you can get to a place, anything, even in the realm of Joseph, where you have a healed story, there's the past, this is how it's part of my story, here's how it's impacted me, and here's how God's using it for good, here's how I'm moving forward. If you can get there, I'm going to tell you something right now, it's going to be a lot easier for you to let go of the resentment and the bitterness and the hurt. Because healing and forgiveness go hand in hand. And as you get a healed story, it will be easier and easier for you to release those feelings. I want you just to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. What might be one thing? Let's not overcomplicate this. What might be one thing the Holy Spirit wants you to take from this message this morning? What is one thing the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you? Maybe he wants to bring to your awareness Here's someone you haven't forgiven or here's someone you haven't healed from. What's one thing the Holy Spirit, the comforter, wants to bring to your mind this morning and how does he want to speak to you about that this morning? Lord Jesus, Joseph, thank you for putting his story in the Bible. We are inspired. We want to forgive like that. We want to let go like that by the power of your spirit. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it from hiding and ignoring things from our past. We desperately long for healing and we want to forgive, Father. Help us to do that work. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you're going to show up in a big way at the prayer summit on Tuesday night. And Lord, as we sing this song, that you would fill us with hope as we worship you. As you help us on this journey to healing and forgiveness.